Welcome back to In Light of the Gospel. In the last 15 years or so, I have had no closer friend than my next guest on the show. His name is Pete Simons. I'm sure if you know me at all, you probably know Pete. And if you know Pete at all, you probably know me. Our families have grown to be almost inseparable through the years. We have each seven children. Uh, I have four girls and three boys. He has four boys and three girls. And a lot of our children are very similar in age. It was almost like we planned something out, but we didn't. We just have a lot in common. We both really appreciate one another. We have different temperaments, different uh, ways of doing things, but we agree on very, very many things. And so it was a real pleasure to have him on today. We don't do the ordinary thing that I've been doing with a lot of my guests. We don't just go through his story. Today we're talking about <clears throat> some pretty controversial issues in our culture and maybe even get into some controversial issues in church. Uh, one being the whole gender dysphoria, gender therapy bill that was passed in Canadian Parliament. And the other is gender roles in the church, how to be a strong man and how to be a good wife and mother. Um, I, I hope you take a lot from it. I hope it's a real blessing. It kind of piggybacks on a recent sermon that both Pete and I preached on the same day, uh, speaking to the bill that was passed in the Canadian Parliament, Bill C-4 and uh, expands from there. So I really appreciated talking to him and uh, it was a real pleasure for me. Hopefully you'll get uh, some good benefit from it as well. I ask that you share it with your friends and uh, people that might need to be able need to hear this. And it's a, it's a very important message for our culture. So thanks a lot for tuning in. God bless you. Simons. He's a longtime friend of mine. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. So if you tuned in just to hear his personal testimony, you might not get the whole thing. You'll have to talk to him about a few more details. But something that's been very much on our minds lately, that's kind of been front and center in our culture, is this idea of gender dysphoria, uh, gender confusion. And now the government has introduced a bill banning gender therapy. And there's a lot of confusion as to what that bill is actually stating. It seems like it could be taken to mean that you and I as preachers and teachers are not allowed to instruct a gender confused person to not be confused. You know, if a boy comes to us thinking that he's a girl, we are legally bound to not be able to say, you are a boy. You know, God made you a boy and you are never going to be anything but a boy. So there's a lot of confusion around that in our society. But now it's starting to become a relevant issue to us because the government has put this law, Bill C-4, in place that kind of, it's, it's confusing as to whether or not that writing should be, should be the way that it is. It refers to traditional thinking as a myth, if I understand correctly. You did a little research on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think they're trying to be uh, kind of neutral. I don't know if that's the word, but uh, it's... Maybe, maybe they're trying to be ambiguous, but uh, it's clear. I mean, the myth that uh, I think you think you can connect that to a biblical foundation, like that's what they're referring to as myth. Yeah. I, I believe that's what the bill is trying to get, get a, a traditional view. I think that what, uh, let's say there are good-hearted, good-meaning, uh, liberal people out there in our world who are what they call progressives, humanists. They think all people should be accepted and loved. If you look at it from their perspective, I think what most people are trying to ban is uh, like pretty much borderline criminal uh, usage of therapy where you're taking a gender confused person and forcing them you know like cold showers or electroshock therapy and trying to rewire their brain in some mechanical way so you can see that well that's clearly wrong like right. let's not torture a person because they're confused right and none of us would uh, would condone something like that right so right. maybe Maybe this is the idea when they when they use the terminology conversion therapy, people have these thoughts in their mind about what that looks like, and it doesn't look like a loving thing. It doesn't look like uh, you're considering that person's feelings. You're just trying to shape them into a person that you think they should yeah. be. Right? So I think that's kind of. Uh, I think they're trying to make it seem like it's a hateful thing and it's a very inconsiderate thing, uh, but that's not the perspective at all. We come from from a, a, a spiritually a biblical point of view. Uh, that's never that's never how we approach yeah. that. I think a lot of people in our culture now are, because they have no groundwork, no basis for believing what they believe, no moral frameworks like, like the scriptures that tell us this is what's right, this is what's wrong, 
they're now trying to develop their own way of dealing with all their relevant cultural issues, exactly. trying to be loving and kind to everybody, no matter what stripe or creed. But what ends up happening is that they end up demonizing and terming as hateful and bigoted only one view, mm-hmm. and that is the traditional view of Christians or Jews or Muslims, people who hold to this idea that men are called to lead Women are called to serve and minister to their husbands and to their children. And that whole idea is, they call it misogynist. They call it now racist because it's, I don't know why they get the racist term from, but homophobic, meaning we're afraid of homosexuals, afraid of transgender people and all that. I think it's good to clear that up. I think that uh, the idea that that they're trying to get across is that we are very bigoted and very um, opposed to, to... thriving, humans thriving, their idea of thriving and prospering is obviously different than ours, right? But really, I don't think they take into consideration that really this discriminates against those people too, um, against uh, uh, even the LGBT community in a way where if someone in that community doesn't want to be like that anymore, they can't find help either, right? So it's not, it's, it's difficult to understand exactly what the main objective is, right? They're not coming at it from a, um, their reference point for, for uh, I guess, why they're doing it is just based upon a uh, a tolerance, maybe, I, I guess you could say, right? Um, there's a way that seems right to man, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of that is, is death, right? And so I feel like this is, to me, it's just a way of trying to uh, just progress an idea of, of tolerance and love, but then really not getting the big picture because you're not actually loving to those people that don't want to be like that anymore, right? Right. Right, so. Well, we statistically, I, I don't have stats and stuff on me, and I, there's so many stats lie left, right, and center. You can never know for sure which stat is a true stat yeah, exactly. or which fact checker is telling the truth. But from what I've read and looked into, and I've obviously my bias is traditional, it is conservative, but I've read all kinds of stats saying that homosexual, transgender people, those types, there's the suicide rates are skyrocketing. They have all kinds of health issues, sexually transmitted diseases, and the list could go on. So when we say that it's improper for someone to be that way, we're not demonizing the person. We're saying that the action that you're involved in will lead to a destruction of people, of their health, and even ultimately society as, as a whole, right? Right. If we demonize as a lifestyle uh, that, uh, that, that could potentially be dangerous, we would do that with anything else that we would see as harmful not just this particularly, but right. we see like statistically, like you say, and how it does affect families. I mean, there's uh, I know of a few families that have uh, been devastated by that, um, just this whole idea of a, of a homosexual lifestyle. And I think uh, the, the bill, what it's trying to promote is, is uh, a safe space for people. Um, and it's saying that our view, the biblical view, is the harmful view. When you see through statistics and through even experience that this is far more harmful to a person than... Uh, um, than the alternative, right? yeah. which is a biblical view, right? So, I mean, I've given statistics before. Um, you know, you probably know about that one uh, in the States, that uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., is the most LGBT-affirming place to live in the States. Uh, I think 10% of the population is uh, um, practices that lifestyle, and it, it is the most affirming place to be. Okay. And it ranks highest in things like uh, 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 drug abuse, um, uh, AIDS, HIV AIDS and it ranks in the top five in suicide. So, for a, for a you know for a uh, a bill that is trying to promote safety for these people, not taking into consideration how harmful it really yeah. is to them, right? Doesn't I think I sense. think where they would probably go, and maybe you and I are unqualified to speak on this topic because we're both heterosexual males, right. whites, you know, married, all that kind of stuff. So we shouldn't even be allowed to speak on it. But I think where they would go with it is that you don't know what it feels like. You don't know what it's like to be in those shoes. You don't have those urges. So how can you speak to this topic, right? That's true. I think that uh, that's predominantly what the thought is. But even in Sweden, they have done surveys uh, or uh, uh, experiments on on this. Like they've studied it out over 30 years. Like even for a transgender person who who gets uh, reassignment surgery done, uh, they've they've tested that and they've... um, interview people of 10 to 15 to 20 years after and just finding out the suicide rates are actually 20 times higher uh, for for people that have transitioned so mm. so even so this is like a long-term thing you can't just say that you know if, if it's uh, how do I word this uh, over a 20 year span 15 to 20 year span uh, that person being comfortable in their new skin you would you would think after that period of time they're still finding the suicide rates 
uh, 20 times higher. I think, again, like, like I was going to say before I kind of forgot my train of thought, what they would probably argue is that the reason why their suicide rates and their depression rates are so high is because the main framework of our society is still built on right. old-fashioned principles where men are supposed to be masculine, women are supposed to be feminine. And because of that, it's confused these people. So now they don't feel accepted, they don't feel loved, they don't feel taken care of by society, and therefore they lead towards depression or suicide. But yet, like you just said, in Washington, D.C., they're more approved right. of, more celebrated. Like even today, kids are actually becoming transgender because they know they'll be celebrated in school uh, and by media. Affirm, People will approved. affirm them and yeah. approve them, and yet it's still not having the effect that they would uh, have thought. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to note. Uh, and, and like you said before, we don't do this with any other, what we would call sin, yeah. right? And so we don't celebrate these things that we that we see as harmful to society. And we have a biblical framework. So we, I mean, um, any any kind of attempt uh, from that side that, that we've talked about as well is like it, it's not grounded in a biblical view. And they try to even incorporate biblical uh, passages to to affirm their view as well, right? Yeah. So maybe we should talk about that. There's plenty of Christians that would, yeah, right. that would say we need to love everybody, therefore accept them for what they're doing. But and I mean, we could go into your history a little bit and see why. Why is this not a valid view? Why can we not just say, let's just love them and affirm them, no matter what they are doing with their sexuality or their gender? It's either way, you just got to love them. Yeah. So yeah. what would we have done in your case? You know, you, you had issues with pornography and maybe even some infidelity at times and before, you know, premarital sex. Should we have just affirmed you in that? I think that's, that's key because if you can lay out, it, this isn't just isolated to... Um, a sexual preference that uh, you know we don't like we don't uh, affirm that lifestyle right but we we're not free of that either like we're, we're not exempt from that like we sexual sin is sexual sin so whether it's done by a heterosexual or a homosexual or whoever uh, it's it's got to be addressed in a way where you can't affirm it if it's uh, especially from our, our point of view right um, you can't affirm something like that that's destructive for not only you but for people around you and I know the, that sin specifically, the sexual sin, is like a beast that you can never, it's never fully, you know, satisfied. Like you, you have to keep feeding it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more affirmation you get, the, I, I believe, I totally believe this is, for me, for my, in my case, I mean, it started out with, uh, with seeing a, uh, a comic book, uh, a Mexican comic book uh, way back in, I mean, I can't remember, I think it was like maybe 13 years old or maybe, maybe younger, 12, uh, where I was introduced to this type of thing through, uh, cartoon images like graphic cartoon images right and so from that that ignited this thing within me that aroused other things and it just kept uh snowballing into something bigger and bigger and bigger so that never stayed in one place and it, the beast was never satisfied mm -hmm. so i think that uh, the more affirmation and the more approval you give to people with any kind of sexual uh, deviant type of behavior it will always like you'll you'll tend to try to justify yourself at some point like you'll get to a place where you, you have that guilt that shame uh, you, you just push that away, you repress it, suppress it, whatever you, what do you want to call it, and then you eventually just push through and just keep just going. Because I go. can't do, I can't. It's who I am, really. That's and if if you think about it, actually, our society or our culture has often affirmed that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Let's say you're into pornography and illicit sex and things like that, and then you listen to rap music, or most modern country music, or most modern rock music, and you'll just get this idea that. This is actually normal. This is okay to be this way. This is kind of just who I am. So you might have moments of guilt and shame over your destructive behaviors, but then you get affirmation constantly from, from media and movies and TV and music, and then you're just like, well, you know what? It's kind of normal. It's okay. And so Christianity should always have stood against infidelity and sexual sins, and we should have spoken up against the culture. Yeah. And this is maybe where we ha are to blame in a sense. So if, if I knew you before, which you and I weren't real close back when you were living in that way and nor when I was living in my way, I wouldn't have uh, judged you too harshly. Yep. I would have been okay to still sit down and have a meal with you. Whereas if a homosexual or a transgender person comes in, I am kind of weirded out by it. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, like, I could, I could judge myself pretty harshly and say, well, sin is sin. Why do we judge one sin harder than the other? On the other hand, the desire for a woman, lust after a woman for a man, it's a natural urge being misused. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's wrong, it's sinful, but it doesn't make me uncomfortable that you think women are attractive. 
However, if you were lusting after men or if you were transitioning to a woman, it would make me much more uncomfortable because there's something completely unnatural. The Bible says it's against nature. Like it doesn't fit, right? Like it doesn't have that male-female counterpart like plumbing, yeah, you know, that works. Thing, rationally, logically, I guess in that, from that point of view. And so maybe, maybe I should be more open-minded. Let's say I had a friend who was struggling with these kinds of thoughts and t- temptations and desires. I would think that I wouldn't just write him off and say, well, I'm done with you. But I also wouldn't let him continue in the sin. You no, know? and I think that's where we've erred. Like you said, as a church, um, through the years, I mean, it's been, uh, and I, I have found that every time I have a, a addressed that certain sin in a, in a man's life, um, you know, it, it's very difficult to do because uh, I think we, we are kind of softer on that because it's expected, they almost expect it. We can it, all identify. We can with all it. identify with that, right? And so... Uh, it is uncomfortable to address that, but I think that's something that men haven't done in the church. Like I, uh, I can't remember actually a time um, where a man has, and I'm sure it has happened, but it's very rare, a rare occasion where a man has has uh, contacted me asking, "How am I doing in my uh, my thought life uh, pertaining to sexual things?" Like people who know I have struggled with that, people who know that I've gone through that in my life. Uh, to the point where I mean, it was so devastating. I even asked God to take away my sexual desires. Like yeah. I said, God, you know, I can't. I can't continue in this. So the only way that I can see victory is if you take away altogether my sexual desire and you know make me kind of a eunuch in that yeah. sense or whatever, right? So um, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad that. The... <laughs> well, I I remember praying a prayer too when I was early on in my Christian life, saying, "God, make make pornography and uh, all that, uh, even heterosexual sex on video and on screens, as disgusting to me as homosexuality is, because I didn't have to struggle." With homosexuality, about it like that. where there are people out there who do struggle with this, so I mean, I gotta give them that. I understand yeah. that you have different temptations than I do, but in a sense, God did answer that prayer. Never did He take away a desire to look at women. Women are still very appealing, very sexually appealing to my eyes. However, to see, like I was talking to Dave Martin's here the other day, and he said he learned after a while that pornography is complete acting. Like these women are giving themselves to men, pretending to be turned on, pretending to be very engaged, and afterward they walk away just like, oh, that was disgusting. They're not feeling what they think, what you think they're feeling. So it is disgusting now. I start to look at some of, if I see those images, it is like, that's so disturbing. It's clearly not natural or right or good, right? When you get to that point, I guess you see the, the bigger picture, right? Of what, what the goal is in that, right? Yeah. It's uh, just the complete gratification for uh, temporary purposes. It's not, there's not looking at the big picture of what God has designed that sexual act for, right? The beauty of what that really means. And I think that that's where I was stuck. It's like, it was more, it was more just to, you know, to satisfy my, uh, this innate need to, to have that, uh, that, that release, right? Um, not taking into consideration, which when I do tell, when I do talk to guys about this, I'll, um, I'll, I'll stress that, you know, what you think, what you're doing right now, you think it's not hurting anybody. Um, but really it's hurting your any kind of future relationship you'll be in mm-hmm. uh, and, and your spouse um, because they if they know that you struggle with that they're going to have these thoughts in their mind like is he comparing me to, to these other women and things like that so it's it's a thing that goes way beyond yourself and, and uh, I think we need to see that perspective oh yeah I've had guys come to me before too where they say that the, because they struggle to look at women that's just something that they desire and they try to try to take take down and not pay attention to that temptation their wives, even I remember your wife saying years ago, like, but why are you even tempted to look? Isn't, doesn't that already say that there's something wrong with you? Meanwhile, there's, there's an animal side of us that is yeah. just flesh. Like, take the spirit out of the flesh and it would be an animal. Just like my dogs, they don't care which female dog is in heat. They're after it. And so if you take the God-given aspect of our soul and our spirit out of us, we would be just animals. Mm-hmm. And our, so the drive of the animal, that's why Jesus says that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They are enmity one with another. And so, yeah, your, your body is always going to be like animal. And your spirit needs to control your flesh. And I, I would say it's the same thing with this, this sin, the gender dysphoria and stuff. Maybe it's a more difficult temptation to overcome once your mind starts playing those tricks. But the problem is up here, you know, you need to think straight. You need to have, allow your mind to be corrected as to what is the right thing. And I, I think the problem with that is like children are being so inundated with information from, from the media, from like uh, the internet, right? The, the web is a, 
that's that's a dangerous thing to get into uh, and to allow your children access to without any kind of governance or, or any kind of oversight. Right? Yeah. And so we're I think we're at a place where that that is the one of the biggest problems. I think there's a lack of oversight and how we got here like into this unprecedented time in, in history seemingly is yeah. because of that like a lack of oversight and discipleship maybe and, and, things and like that. you can see like the bible says many times that the world is our enemy you know that he that is friends with the world is enemies with god right like it's very clear and yet because we lived in a culture maybe here in this elmer area even kind of secluded and reserved it doesn't really feel like it because we see married families all around us we don't see a lot of the debauchery and the sin that god is going to come and judge one day we just think maybe maybe the world isn't so bad but when you look at the media companies the social media companies the direction of the, the mainstream narrative all that is very much geared towards let's tear down the patriarchy as they would call it the male dominant role as if the, the the idea of a husband leading the household and providing for his family and the wife raising children and loving her husband is all old-fashioned and it's destructive so we need to tear that down so you let your kids on the internet you let them into schools that's what they're going to be inundated with constantly right and so we have to be super proactive as parents if we're going to allow them into any of these things and to seclude them from it isn't the answer either so we need to be really clear with this stuff yeah i think it's a like if we were to think maybe five ten well not, maybe not five but ten twenty years ago uh if we were to see ahead and see this time uh, we'd have to realize that something went wrong somewhere. Uh, can we attribute it to a lack of discipleship to some degree? Like, I wonder, um, because I would have never thought we'd be here. I mean, right. uh, you know, you think this is something that, uh, just in the movies or whatever, like just something that uh, you don't really think about, right? This Dysmorphia, what's the dystopian almost, right? right the, yeah. the direction that things are headed. I, I mean, I preached a message a couple weeks ago at uh, Port Burwell Lighthouse Gospel, and there I... I brought up this topic, the C4 topic, the gender dysphoria issue. And then I kind of turned on the church and said, the, one of the problems that we've had is that the male role hasn't been celebrated as a good thing. We haven't seen masculine leaders being like the prime example. And we also haven't seen the woman's role being celebrated that, that uh, we would prize. You know, we used to have books like the hand that rocks, the cradle rules the world where the women are the ones who influence the men, the future generations. They're the ones, you know, carefully, uh, compassionately caring for these little children and teaching them, instructing them in the ways of God and, uh, and celebrating the role of womanhood and wife and mother. That's kind of been disregarded in the culture, our world for sure. And now for the last, I think, several, maybe 20, 30, 40 years, maybe more, it's kind of been downplayed in the church too, where Women are expected to have a career. They're expected to not just be in the home. We, we, we say things like, well, I'm just a housewife or she's just a stay-at-home Like there's mom. a kind of an embarrassment or like a yeah. shame behind it or whatever. I think those seeds have been planted over the years, right? Like certain movements that have happened where, where the enemy has been planting seeds and then somehow it just kind of got its foot into the church. And uh, because we're maybe, you know, we're not really aware of the spiritual battle that we're, uh, we battle not with flesh and blood, but uh, with powers and principalities, knowing that the enemy is always you know, he's, he's seeking to devour families yeah. and things like that. And I think we, we haven't been aware of that, like certain movements happening. And, and so now, yeah, I mean, what does it look like for the church five, 10 years from now? Like just thinking about how uh, we are more, we are more accepting now uh, on some level to this gender dysphoria idea. And, you know, even I, I mean, I know people who have, uh, you know, somehow contributed to that end as well, like to, you know, for, to, toward the therapy aspect of it. And, um, and so, these are Christians, mean? Christians, like somehow like um, helping someone along in that sense as well. Like Almost to, like affirming, affirming them their and, new identity. Yes, things like that. Right? So, that's such a strange concept. Like we don't do that with any other destructive behavior. But that's where they would say, well, uh, transgender type of um, mindset or homosexual mindset, it isn't destructive to anybody. If people are consensual, then who does it matter or why does it matter? But it's not... It doesn't produce flourishing in the community. It doesn't produce children. It doesn't produce, and this is again, they would say, well, children are not the main goal. Uh, family is not the main goal. The nuclear family should be disassembled and really ridiculous, it radical is. things. We, most of us that will be watching this would think, well, that's ridiculous. But that is the direction that our culture and the school system is going. So where does that take us uh, then? Like, where, where does, what's the end, end game of that? Like, you got to see that the the nuclear family, so to speak, is is it's not going to be desirable to have a family. It's not going to be desirable. It's going to be like I think autonomy. I think that is the one thing that, that it's the 
the thing to attain to, like the full autonomy, complete control over what I do with my body. I think not to be uh, governed by or dictated by a book that's like antiquated myth, and, myth, and all that stuff, right? So that I, it's it's stifling me from being the person that I was made to be or that that I think I am. And so um, it, I I just I what, what, is that, what is that uh, quote unquote autonomy regulated by, or what's the defining factor? Well, yeah. Usually it's person's uh subjective feeling towards things right this is how i feel and so you got to respect how that how i feel how far does that go right i mean yeah. so i think if we were to cater to that idea what would we see in society i mean a lot of people have a lot of feelings about who they are that we that even even people in that community the lgbt community would would not affirm right so well know, now now they're coming out with this uh they're calling it maps minor attracted persons it's a new term every yeah maps that means that you're attracted to minors. It's not minor attracted person. Yeah, so you're you're not. You, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just an attraction that you have. It's you, that's your sexual identity. You can't. So it's really not a deficiency. It. It's just this. Uh, you know. And so now there, you, if you really search for it, you'll see um, articles and videos made where they're trying to justify people who are attracted to children. And maybe it's okay if the child is a consensual and stuff like that. Like just ridiculous stuff that we all shake our head at the same way that our forefathers would have shook their heads at the LGBT community. And now they've included this in the LGBT plus, you know, it's just one more thing. It's hard to imagine how, how a society can get to that point um, where they're governed by, really governed by their own their own thought of what uh, what they should be and not there's no reference point like you said there's no there's actually a reference point for why they should know this is good or, or, or wrong or, or bad or whatever right there's no there's no reference point besides themselves besides yeah. their own convoluted well, thought I mean the Bible does say that uh, woe to them that call evil good and then that call good evil right and I think that's kind of happening and we don't know exactly how to handle it in individual situations because it feels like you're being hateful to someone if you're um, if you're saying that their feeling is not relevant. That'd be a good thing to talk about because I think that's that's how we need to really find out how to do that. Like I know for me too, my, my knee-jerk reaction is to respond with the truth to them right away without, not without the grace, but you don't predominantly think about yeah. uh, how am I going to be graceful to this person when I convey to them that this is not good for them. It, right? it would be the same way, let's say somebody came to us and said, you know, as, as disgusting as even feels to talk about, yeah. somebody came and said, I'm attracted to little boys. We'd be like, what in the world is wrong with you, man? Yeah. Go get some therapy. Get some help. you got to work on this. Or if somebody came and said, I just have this strong urge to light people's houses on fire. Well, but now they would get offended at us saying, you're equating uh, LGBT stuff and uh, pedophilia. Pedoph pedophilia with the desire to murder and hurt people. Mm -hmm. Well, no, they are different sins. But we can see the long-term trajectory that they don't cause human flourishing nor do they cause personal growth and security they lead to depression and anxiety and all kinds of issues right so you really have to i think invest in in, in a person to get to that point where you can actually speak into their lives there has to be some some sort of way you can uh, navigate through that where they can see your compassion right because i think i think i'm lacking compassion to be honest i i lack compassion sometimes toward toward that community because it, it does seems seem too so, ridiculous it to seem, our minds yeah. right so, so I know that's this is where I confess that I, I don't always know the best approach. Um, but if my if my reference point for that kind of thing is the Bible, um, and and we know that with the Spirit of God, uh, we not only give truth to people, uh, we have to respond to them in a way that um, we can see. You know, in stories, I guess you know we talked about stories about how you know people have everybody has a story, and to somehow um, to relate to people they give their stories so that we can have more compassion on them to see their history see their background and then kind of sympathize with them um and i think this is where the church is going wrong is like just hearing stories and sympathizing with people is not the answer either so you can't you can't just go from um from this harsh type of approach that that we might uh, the natural urge the natural urge man. right uh, to this thing where you're yielding totally to somebody's story because you feel sorry for them and then you don't know how to respond yeah. to them at all in a, in a way that's going to help them like yeah it's not going to help them to, to keep them on that path, but then you don't know how yeah. you got a loss. I, I did recently hear a, a testimony or a story of a guy who trying to be straight caused him anxiety, is what he said. Trying to be just a normal person like you and I, which I, even that word normal will be derogatory right. to them. Or yeah, they'll exactly. feel like I'm minimizing their lifestyle. But I think, 
and I don't know exactly how to handle individual cases. That part is confusing and difficult for me to know. Like if somebody came and said, I really just do have this urge. But we all do do that to some degree. Mm. Like I have urges still, like we talked about before, to look at things I shouldn't look at. I have urges to be moody and grumpy and mean. I have, I have urges to be proud and conceited and whatever. You know, you know, you can fill in the blanks with whatever your urges are. And you constantly have to suppress that and say, how should I be thinking based on this book? What should be my thoughts? You know, as a Christian in particular, we should be very clear on this. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring it into subjection to the obedience of Christ. So my thoughts are not clear. They're not his thoughts. And I, the way I'm feeling right now is probably not correct. I need to bring this into subjection to the true knowledge of who Christ is. And so when I think of the idea of gender, I can't help but connect it back to who God is. I heard this illustration or this... Uh, imagery from the Old Testament years ago. Uh, everybody knows how the, in the Old Testament, the high priest in the Jewish tabernacle was told to put on a white linen cloth over his, his body. And then he would put on this beautiful robe with the 12 ornaments in his chest and he had this big hat on. And you've probably seen pictures of it. And it was this symbolism of, of the outward adorning of man and how man is, has, has all these things to offer and it looks good on the outside. But when the high priest would go into God, there was only one little spot in all of Israel where he could go. And it was, there was the, tab, the outward, outer, outer court, there was the inner court, and then there was the most holy place. And it was hidden behind a veil. And this imagery that he gives is this idea that that veil that hangs there, and I'm going to get a little explicit here, is an image of the, uh, the woman's reproductive system. And the male is the female, the, the priest rather, is the male counterpart. And so when a priest would go in, he would strip off the outward robe, a symbolism of circumcision, exposing the inner man, just like circumcision would. I know it sounds kind of wrong to almost talk about this way. And then he would go inside and deposit blood. He would bring forth seed. This life is in the blood. And then God would see the seed, see the blood, and he would forgive sins. And so even the whole sacrificial system, if you look at the, uh, the mercy seat with the two cherubim and you look at, examine the female reproductive system, there's imagery that fits. I mean, we don't have to go with this fully. You can accept it or reject it. But there is signs of the male-female gender roles all throughout the scriptures that talk about how God relates to man. So man needs to come to God. How? Through this reproductive type of system. When he built Adam and Eve, it was based on the idea of how he would save humanity. We go to Ephesians chapter 5, and it says that husbands ought to lie, love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives should submit to their husbands, even as unto the Lord. Then after he explains how male and female husbands and roles, husbands and female roles should work, he then clarifies at the end, he says, this is a great mystery, because I'm speaking about Christ and the church. So the way that humanity relates to God, the only way we can relate to God, is through a male-female image role. Christ being the male, he came down, he emptied himself, he took upon himself flesh, he was bruised and beaten and tortured and crucified, and then he entered into the veil, which in the temple would have been the physical veil, but that physical veil was rent from top to bottom, and then he entered into the true tabernacle, which is into heaven. So it's all picturing this idea of male going in, con uh, um, conceiving with the life of God and this life taking place, just like the male-female reproductive system. As explicit as it is, I w I'm always blown away by the beauty of that, like, because I, I feel like God has designed sex, the sexual act, in such a way that it, it is the most joyful and uh, climactic experience we can like have on this earth. But it's a glimpse; it, it's the closest glimpse we have of uh, uh, a relationship with Christ, like yeah. uh, our our oneness and fullness in Christ. So he's given us that as when you when you. Um, when you're in that act and you're uh, contemplating what that means, that is the closest thing you'll ever to experience to worship. To, yeah. to worship uh, yeah, All to, other thoughts fade from your mind. You have no worries, no stress, no fear in your mind if it's done correctly in the right spot with the right So that's why a, a perversion of that... Um, it's it's is, distorting the very image of who God is. I think it's, it's so good to reflect on that because, you know, God has a purpose for sex. And if he has a purpose for it, and we are outside of that, and, and like we talked about how heterosexuals could be outside of that as well. Um, Absolutely. Any, any kind of sexual deviance from, like deviating from God's design and purpose for that is always going to pervert God's intention for, for that beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, I think we should really, that, that's the thing I think we as heterosexuals or, or people in the, the Christian communities have not taken into consideration because um, in a marriage, like I get angry, I get just as angry with a man who's in pornography or trying to justify his actions as I do with, uh, with anybody outside of that, like the homosexual community. I get angry at them too. Maybe not the same way, but I get angry at that as yeah. well. So it's a sin that really makes me angry because I know the devastation of it. And, and so I think we need to really uh, be corrective in that as a church. Well, as just, just you saying that springs, a thought springs in my mind um, that kind of has challenged my thinking quite a bit. Jesus says in his day when he's on earth, he's speaking to Judea and Samaria and these, these areas where he's preaching in. And he says, these cities will be judged more harshly than Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment because you saw the Messiah and you rejected him. And so... You know, a lot of conservative Christians, and this is where we've probably erred, have so demonized anyone who is sexually immoral. And we've looked at the LGBT crowd and just said that that's so disgusting, we want nothing to do with it. Jesus comes along and says the LGBT crowd in Sodom and Gomorrah will be judged less harshly than hypocritical religious people. So this is where we can very, very clearly fall into yeah, that exactly. danger. Like there's crowds of people who just justify themselves. They think that they're all fine and good because they don't struggle with that temptation. And therefore, those people are the evil ones. And Jesus says, if you pretend to be good and you're praying in public and you're doing all these outward religious things and yet you don't actually love God and you don't really love your wife and you're not properly raising your children, you're not sh worshiping God, you're worse than those guys and you're going to have a worse time in judgment. Like that. <laughs> That's pretty harsh. That is, and that's a very sobering thought. Like I said, yeah, it's. I think we all fall victim to that. That's yeah. something we all need to think about. So I, I guess to kind of shift gears slightly is, like you mentioned it before already, you asked the question, what do we then do? How do we handle this in the future? I think, you know, the Bible says that it is a time. There's a time for when the judgment must begin at the house of God. So the church needs to take responsibility for where we have faltered and fumbled and and not been clear and concise and i think one of the things has been is defining the husband and wife roles very very clearly and not only defining it saying you have to be this way you have to be this way men have to be this way women have to be that way. there's a lot of nuance within those positions however we should celebrate the idea of a man being the breadwinner we should celebrate the idea of a man protecting those that are under his care and being the leader of the home, being the, the Lord. You know, the Bible says Abraham's wife, Sarah, called him Lord because she honored him. She revered him. And then we should also celebrate the idea that women are, like I've said from very, when I was very young and naive raising my daughters, I have my oldest two are daughters. We have four daughters now. I'm raising them to be wives and mothers. And that's very unpopular in our culture. But our girls have grabbed onto this idea that the most noble, beautiful calling they could possibly have is to be someone's wife and, and mom of future generations. And, and I, like, as your friend and uh, getting together like we do, I see the, the fruit of that and I see the joy that comes from that. Like, I see, like, I don't get the sense from your girls uh, or your boys that they're out of place in their, um, just in the structure of things, like, uh, th that you've instilled in them this love for for their gender like the the, the proper roles the proper just it, it just seems like they're joyful, joyful it, it does it does come with its struggle sometimes uh, some of my daughters will confess that um, certain things maybe because they've gotten influence from the media as well or maybe just their own heart you know the idea of pride and all that is sometimes they wonder doesn't it almost feel a little bit oppressive certain ways of thinking that women can't go out and get jobs they can't make a name for themselves the, the, the women of old, the ones that adorn themselves with holiness and sobriety, the ones that God esteems highly, they often made a name for themselves, but it was in the proper framework. There's a few exceptions. Deborah in the book of Judges, who was a great leader, but even there, you know... And as Woody Blockham says in that regard, it's like it's a sign that things were really bad. Things were really bad in society there, right? But ultimately, you know, look at Mother Mary. You look at um, Hannah in the Old Testament. You look at, you know, the, they were caregivers and nurturers even you read the book of uh, proverbs chapter 31 she goes out and she does things she buys a field and she buys sells and trades. she's industrious yeah, yeah. but what happens her husband gets praised in the gates and he praises her he's like i could not do my life without this woman on my side and adam was given a position a role 
a, a garden to tend to, and then God says it's not good that he should be alone. I'm going to create someone that will come alongside and be suitable and helpful to him to accomplish his goals. Now, do their goals mesh? Of course. Like my wife's goals mesh with mine and they're, they build on, on what I want to do. But she left off her maiden name to become a Blatz. She's, the children that are born from her womb are given my name because she is willingly giving me the headship role. And I, you know, that doesn't fill me with pride thinking, that's right, I'm the man of this place. You know, it's more like, ooh, that's a lot of weight on my shoulders. I'd rather her take some of the responsibility. Yeah, so it's, I think uh, it's a mutual responsibility where the man is uh, submitting to Christ. And that's, that's not a light thing. I think that some people, you know, especially growing up in, a, in our culture, we get this idea that a man is supposed to be kind of heavy-handed with his wife and whatever. Like, that's, that's how we grew up, right? And so we saw that a little bit maybe in our parents. Maybe not. I, I didn't see that so much in my, no. in my family dynamic. But, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people did grow up like that, thinking that their role as a husband was to tell their wife what to do and you submit to me. Uh, woe, woe to the man that ever says that to a woman. No right? kidding. And that's not where we ought to be, right? So, so I think that, uh, you know, us submitting to Christ as a man, in that sense, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a weighty thought. Like, my, my wife submits to me because I'm under the submission of Christ, and, and I'm loving her the way Christ loved the church. And I think that, people don't really realize how, like, the love of Christ toward the church, and if a man were to think about that, to contemplate what does that look like, uh, you know, women love to follow Jesus. Women follow Jesus because he was the exemplary man. He was the perfect man, the, the man... Uh, he gave them value, worth, and and he he showed them, you know what what this is supposed to look like, right? Yeah. Like how how this is, what he created, how he, it's supposed he, to operate. He actually, along with the Apostle Paul, they elevated women to a position that no other religion that no other, ever had. Yeah, exactly, women so was, had always been oppressed. It was revolutionary, really. What Absolutely. it was, the Christianity revolutionized the way a man and a woman ought to behave toward one another, and I, I think that uh, that's that's something we have to take note of. And, and so, yeah, a man. Definitely is not the the goal of of being in a, a marriage is not to demand your wife uh, around and, and talk to her in a derogatory yeah. way. And I think that we need to get out of that for sure. And I think somehow somehow that has maybe even empowered men to uh, to be where they are right now as far as far as sexual even behavior goes because they think somehow they're entitled to it. Um, I don't know. It's a weird correlation. Well, now but... now the whole feminist movement is giving that permission to women. So now it's a celebrated thing when a woman is is sexually deviant and flaunting themselves and all that kind of stuff. And I think that lies directly on the man. Uh, we've kind of paved the way for that. I think too. Yeah. Uh, for well, there there's little sl- sayings and slogans that kind of shape the way we think, or maybe it's because of how we think these slogans and and sayings come out. Like the, we used to hear jokes about uh, women's places barefoot, pregnant in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, and it, it's kind of funny, it's comical, but it does fit my framework to a small degree. Like there's some truth in that. I think like uh, Titus chapter two says that uh, aged women should teach the younger women how to run their household, how to love their husbands, how to raise their children, how to be discreet and chaste and keepers at home. So they, you know, that is kind of their place, but it sounds degrading and oppressive almost to say it the other way. But now in our culture, we've had just the opposite. Almost every TV show, sitcom, yeah. movie portrays men as lazy good for nothing they get home they sit down put their feet up their woman has to bring them a beer and it's just really painting women men with this awful brush where women are also going out getting jobs working hard coming home cooking cleaning taking care of their lazy husband and we laugh at this and joke about it but it's it's made its way into culture like it it goes both ways it really has painted a picture for for our generation of, of young people to see that and think i don't desire that like that's not what i that's not right. So when I go into marriage, I won't be that man. I won't be that man. But what ends up then happening is that men go into marriage just being yes man. You know, like they'll submit to whatever the wife wants. When this is where we sound kind of misogynistic or old fashioned. When I say that the Bible says clearly that women ought not to be teachers in the church. They shouldn't usurp authority over the man. Why? Because the woman was deceived and not the man. No, doesn't excuse what the man did. In fact, the human race fell into sin through the man's sin, not the woman's. But the woman was deceived, not the man. So this tells us a little bit of something about the uh, natural female, is that they're more likely to be deceived in certain respects. Not in all cases. This is just kind of a general statement. Men are more firm. They're more hard. They're more steady. You know, the people have compared men's brains to waffles and women's to spaghetti. Right, yeah. And so men think logically. They think in boxes. They think firm type of thoughts. Often they can't think of many things at once. They're very narrow-minded. And so men should be that. 
and we've we've kind of demonized that and now men are allowing women to lead the home many cultures allow women to lead the church and then they they're ruling the, the country they're like it's the whole uh, idea now is our culture has been so effeminized where we think that the ideal way of thinking is the way that a woman thinks not the way that a man thinks so how, how would you address the idea that somebody might think uh, well you know the bible was written during that time period and that was uh that was cultural at the time. Like this was kind of how things were to operate, but now it's different. Like, you mean like the as women as, keeping silent in the church? Yeah, things like that. Yeah, I think that you know maybe we're deviating a little bit, but just uh, you know, this whole idea. Of it's all tied together. The male female yeah. roles. I, I think it's in each passage that you look to. That one that I just quoted. It ties it right back to Adam and Eve. It doesn't say now in this time at your place and your church you're having this issue with male female roles and so for now i want you know it doesn't say that it says in the beginning it was this way and this is what happened in the beginning therefore based on the natural um tendencies of a female creature versus the natural tendencies of a male creature they can both go error go in error but a man that's walking straight and true and, and you look at the husband and wife or the um sorry the deacon and bishop roles it's husband of one wife. He must be apt to teach. He must be able to rule his own household well. And it gives all these qualifications of leaders in the church. And it never says, you know, a, must be a good wife. It says about the deacon's wives. It speaks about them. So all throughout those roles that are defined, it never ties it to cultural things as far as I can tell. I feel like they're doing yeah, some exactly. gym, gymnastics that's, there. That's interesting because even I was thinking about uh, the weight the weight that falls upon the man in regard to the fall. Like You, you mentioned a little bit about uh, uh, Eve being deceived, but it attributes, like, the idea of the fall of man is attributed to Adam. Adam's sin, yeah, right? Through so, one man's sin. And through one sin man's sin. Through, yeah, and so I think yes. we should really uh, think about that as men. That our responsibility toward our wives is to be accountable. Like uh, we're we're responsible for how, their their um, relationship with God. Like we we are like Adam should have been um, where he should have went uh, in the direction of of nurturing her and protecting her, protecting from, the her enemy. from the enemy, and he didn't do that. And so I think that's that's something for us to think about as as men. Where what direction are we taking our wives? Like are we washing them with the water of the word? Are we are we going to present them? To Christ as a beautiful spotless yeah. bride, and, and it's such a you know in all her splendor, like you That's know, right. it's it's a beautiful thing to think about. But it's it. a weight. It's a weight, right? And so we can't neglect that. I often think about it. Like my wife is an individual; she has just as much access to uh, to God as I do. I have no uh, superior understanding of who God is that I could somehow manipulate and control her. That she should she should just obey me without ever questioning. So it's like. That's where that goes, right? Yeah. That's 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 the thought of the person that thinks this is how this this way is oppressive and it's like uh, you know it's it's heavy handed, you know. Yeah. I think people can can use that, uh, but yeah, see that yeah. So you just you get this idea that men should just dominate over their wives, but when you think about if you are the head of the household, like you're the master of the ship, you are responsible for the direction that your ship goes. So if your wife is depressed and discouraged and anxious and uptight or lonely or sad or bitter, it reflects on you. you. I mean, you can't control her. She is her own person. But if you're washing her with the water of the word, which includes washing her with this, but also with the words that you speak, then ultimately it is your responsibility how the family is doing. If your children are disruptive, if they are as the Bible calls riotous, if they are accused of riot, then you're unfit to be a leader in the church. And so all the weight sits directly, squarely upon the shoulders of the man. And this is why physically we are given broader shoulders. Physically we are stronger. We're supposed to bear the weight physically, and that's that should typify to us what we're supposed to be doing spiritually. We carry the burden, the weight, the sole responsibility for the family. If my family goes astray, and my children run off into the world and become rebellious, even if I can look at my wife and say it's probably because of her, the responsibility and the weight of it lies on me. So if my wife, again, is depressed, discouraged, anxious, fearful, uptight, whatever it might be, and, and this is, it's not like I've mastered this. I often look at this and say, how God? What, give me wisdom so that I can lead my wife well, so that I can rid her of this, I can cleanse her of any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, because it does lie on me. And I think we're under examination in that sense. So I think, um, and for me, I feel like every day. I mean, I have to, I have to bathe my my life in prayer in this regard because I know I I feel inadequate so often oh, to, to take so. all all the weight upon me like that. And, and uh, you know, my my goal in our relationship is to 
to draw closer to Christ together and and to to be like for my wife. If I see my wife in uh, any kind of situation where she is feeling anxious or depressed or if she's uh, just feeling frustrated and things like that, I, I often think about what I'm not doing. What have, like I point it back to me and think, what what could I be doing different that my wife would respond to this yeah. differently? Like, am I fulfilling my responsibility as the the man that God has called me to be? And, and that and that is a weight, but it it keeps it, it you know what it keeps me on um, the right track. You know, yep. I, uh, the second I I start thinking about uh, just giving up. I've got too, there's too much at stake. Absolutely. Uh, there's way too much at stake. Right? So. This, this kind of uh, deviates a little bit from our thinking, but it's very applicable, and it's applicable to men and women. But I found that, let's say my wife and I are having a contention, we're having a bit of an argument, a debate over something, and things are really uncomfortable, and I feel like she is completely to blame. This has happened many times, where I'm like, if she wasn't stubborn here, this or if, she, you gave me, right? if yeah. she, yeah, this woman you gave me, she made me do it. If she wasn't doing this right now, this would all be resolved. But I've, I've tried to take extreme ownership. There's a, a secular podcaster, um, some motivational speaker named Jocko Willink, and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. I haven't read the book, but some of the principles in there are very biblical principles. I take responsibility for it. So uh, if something like this is going on and I feel, in the heat of the moment, I feel frustrated and angry, like she's to blame, she's the one that's at fault. I remember you know passages like, husbands love your wives, be not bitter against them. And then I think, okay, let's say, Maybe I am 10% responsible. And then I think about that. Yeah, you know what? If I wouldn't have said this, it wouldn't have brought that up. Maybe I'm 10, 10%. As soon as you give yourself the room that you were maybe 10%, Even some, yeah. all of a sudden it jumps to 50 very quickly and 60 and 80. You just don't want like, to think about that, right? You're you like, got to get oh, yourself there. To think she's, not re- she's not right. I'm not justifying what she did. She was wrong in her response. But ultimately, I'm to blame. And I, if I would have changed this, that, or the other thing, it wouldn't have happened this way. So even if she, you know, her reaction was bad, she did some wrong things, if I recognize that I'm forgiven based on what Christ did for me, then I can forgive her for what maybe she did wrong here, and I'm going to give myself for her, I'm going to love her, and no matter what. You know, women sometimes, and um, speaking generally here again, not all women are created equal, they sometimes speak what they're feeling at the moment. Later on, if you ask them about exactly word for word what they said, like if you were to document it, write it down, and play it back to them, they'd be like, no, no, I didn't mean that. (laughs) They know that. So as a man, you need to be hard enough, firm enough, strong enough to recognize, okay, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. I'm not going to be bitter against her for what she might have just said there. It's not really as bad as, you know, not to justify yourself, but it's not probably not as bad as what she's feeling right now. But she needs me to know how she's feeling. And so this, again, this plays into this idea of women are more feelings-based. They're more prone to hormones because and, and, they have their monthly cycles, all kinds of stuff, right? This is natural for women. This is why they're not called to be leaders. They're called to be nurturers and caregivers, right? So now, like I, I've heard of men, and I know men who are very passive, and I, I think my, my natural tendency is to be more passive. I, I grew up, my brother Jake, uh, everybody, everybody thinks he's older than me because he's more dominant. Because he's more dominant, he's more of a leader. Like, and I've never... And I, I know people have told me that I, I have leadership qualities and things like that. It's hard for me to, to understand how they could see that because I've always seen myself as a, as a more passive, more follower type of guy. Uh, now, being, then being thrust into positions where leadership is just a requirement, I, I, you know, I, have, to, I have to lead. So what do you say to a man who is passive, um, who, who just naturally allows the woman to take control? Because I, we, I, you know, we've, we've talked to people like that in relationships like that where the man is not taking his proper role in that sense. Like, we're not expecting everybody to be a, a lumberjack or no, like, a, like this masculine, exactly. you know, whatever. But there's going to be something, some kind of advice you can give them to understand uh, the relationship that, uh, that Christ and the church has. And I think that's ultimately the thing, right? Like, yeah. uh, Well, my advice to the man would be is to step up to your role. Like, we are all called to things. And to one degree or another, you might never be called to lead a church. You might never be called to lead a company. But you are called to lead your wife and to lead your children. So you need to step up to that role. But what, when you ask that question, one of the things that comes to mind is, I know several families where the woman is the more dominant personality. She's, she's more spiritually astute. She knows the Bible better. And she's more in tune with what was right and what's wrong. And so she has a tendency then to lead her household. And so there the responsibility, in a sense, almost lies upon the woman to pay close attention to her role. And this is, is very difficult. I can't imagine being told this, but wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And so far as, as Abraham's wife Sarah called him Lord, 
You know, you esteem that man. You give him the venerance. Is that the right word? Reverence that is due him as a man. Not because of his performance, but because of what God has called you to do. God has called you to elevate this man, to praise him, to honor him, to respect him, to even reverence him, which is very akin to worship. And so if, if a woman who is the obvious more dominant one and the man is kind of takes a back seat, she can lift him out of it very easily in some sense. Even if he doesn't ever become a strong dominant male role in society, she, by submitting to him, by honoring him, by respecting him, by lifting him up, can elevate him to a place where maybe eventually he does become a leader of men as well. And, so, and that's definitely antithetical to the culture too, but it's like, I feel like any time, like the Bible never promotes this idea, like never absolves a man of his responsibility in a marriage and it never absolves a woman of her responsibility. Yeah. So it's clear cut, um, the roles are laid out, right? And so if we're operating from that perspective, like the woman is submitting to Christ when she's submitting to her husband, right? And so I think that ultimately for a woman to see that, hey, you know, I'm honoring Christ in this. Absolutely. Even if my... Even As unto the Lord. With my husband, not, he's not worthy of honor, but I'm honoring Christ when I do this. And I think if that perspective was shifted, even for a man uh, to say, hey, if he's not taking his responsibility to, to be the man that Christ was to the church, then he needs to, he needs to get under that. Like he, there's no way he can get out of that responsibility. Like once he's in the marriage, yeah. scripturally, biblically... He ha he has a duty and responsibility that Christ laid out for him to do that. So he can't. There's no out. You know, yep. it's like you can't absolve yourself saying I'm passive. Then right. you just have to get get to a point where you understand your responsibility more, not not just yield to the passivity, right? That's right. And and so that, and that's what I think too about even going back to this gender dysphoria thing. It's like it's a matter of yielding too. It's like you're not yielding to uh, to the God's design. You're not yielding to God's best for you, right? And so you're. Anytime you're outside of, of what God has designed for you in a marriage, whether it be like who you think you are, you're always going to make things worse for yourself. So a marriage like that, a marriage where the man is being passive, it's not going to be better for the marriage. No, nor for the man. Nor for the man, nor for the woman. It just, it, it always tends to a, um, a deficiency, like a, 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 you're yielding to what's worse for you than... Absolutely. And it's often counterintuitive, right? Like it's, it's an ups, upside down kingdom, some people have called it. So... Uh, Jesus said it's better to, to give, to serve, than to be served, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a more noble matter. And if you ever deal with somebody who's kind of in depression or feeling kind of empty, get them to do something good for someone else, and it fills them up. Exactly. And so it's, a, it's kind of a reverse psychology in a sense, where um, the thing that you maybe don't want to do or doesn't feel like is the natural urge that you have, but you submit to it because you believe it's the right thing from God, it will provide more stability, happiness, long-term peace and joy for your life than anything that you think is the right thing to feel at the moment, right? And so a husband that doesn't feel like leading, you might, you'll probably never be fulfilled. You'll never feel like life is full and joyous and happy until you submit to the idea that you're called to lead your wife. And now you strike out and you start sailing that ship like you have a meaning and a purpose you're going to feel way more fulfilled having accomplished those goals. And the same thing with a wife. She might feel like, I want to just strike out on my own. I don't want to submit to this guy. It doesn't feel like I want to do that. But you submit to him, you honor him, you reverence him, you lift him up, and you see him become the man that he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I, I can only imagine that that whole reverse psychology thing will take place there too, where you will feel more fulfilled, more happy, more joyous, doing what God has called you to do rather than rebelling against it. Yeah, like I always see that serving, getting yourself distracted by serving is always a good way to grow, uh, grow spiritually, grow in character, grow to who you're actually supposed to be. And I, I tell all these guys all the time that uh, that struggle with with uh, pornography. I say to them, "How are you spending your time?" You know, like getting to know your role as a man. Like you can't just become the man you that God has called you to be by just saying, "Well, I'm going to do this right now." Like. You have to have an understanding of what that looks like, and yeah. that's that's from God's word. So, are you being distracted by uh, by your phone? Are you being distracted by the the, the weight of the world around you? The cares of this world. The cares of this world. How are you How are you getting to the point where you, where you're um, holding on to that victory that you already have in Christ? Like, so we are of the understanding that we are already free from sin. Yeah. Uh, that's that's where we that perspective we go from there, right? So now, now how are you walking in the spirit in the sense of you're acknowledging the truth of that because if you're yielding to all these things that are, are antithetical to you, your growth in Christ, like many of the guys, like I said, I talked to, they, they tell me what their day looks like 
and and you can see exactly they're, what the they're is. riding around in neutral they're just coasting yeah, through they're life. just coasting they're whatever not, feels good at the time they do that right and whether you like it or not they're spiritual disciplines like there there are things you need to do to draw closer to God and to understand the you know the greatest salvation that we have like mm-hmm. uh, and so and I, I tell these guys like if you if your temptation is to scroll through your phone have an alternative like you have to be active you have, you can't be passive in that sense right yeah. and so yeah, I just encourage people to, to understand like the weight of the sin. Um, and I always say this is this is something that has helped me so much. Um, a low view of sin, because people justify their sin, is a low view of the cross. Like you have, if you have a casual right. view of your sin, you're you're going to have a casual view of what Jesus did. Amen. And and so that that's the bottom line. And I, I think that always gives me um, it, it puts me in my place because I'm like, you know what, this sin of of me just maybe scrolling through my phone a little slower than I ought to. If I don't see that as a sin worthy of the cross, uh, you know, worthy of Jesus had to come down to the cross for, then I will keep doing that, thinking, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. But no, Jesus, you know, he sweat blood in anticipation yeah. of this of this that he was going to go through. And if that cross doesn't mean much to you, if it's never caught your eye and made you fall down and worship, you know, spiritually then you probably don't see your sin as really that bad. No. Nope. You know? And how can you see the worth of what was done for you? And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess kind of to wrap up that like, whether it's the gender dysphoria thing, LGBT stuff, transgender stuff, or even the, the male role, the female role, or even children obeying their parents, all of it is we allow this book to govern our thinking. We get our spirits in tune with who God is. You know, let, I saw a quote many years ago. It was on the wall of a church building. It says, Lord, break my heart with the things that break yours. Whether that's evangelism, whether that's our roles as husbands and leaders or our roles as uh, women and, and submitters and followers or uh, as men and women, you know, we should be allowing this book to change our thinking constantly. So we get in it, we listen to it, we hear it, we read it, we listen to sermons, and we allow that to penetrate and to correct our thinking so that we can renew our mind according to the truth. And then we walk according to that. So and that permeates the culture, and then we make change that way. So let's make uh, pro- proper gender roles great again. You know, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's live according to the truth and promote it and celebrate it and act like Within this our is a good thing. Everywhere we go, man. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Anything else that you want to say? I like that wraps it up nicely. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you.